You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and we're really glad that you're joining us. Y'all looking forward to Thanksgiving? A little time off, a little time off work or school. Hopefully eat some good food, see some friends, see some family. It's going to be a fun week, but I'm glad you made time to join us to worship God this morning. Uh, we are uh, going to continue our series in the book of James. We've been calling Wisdom for Life, and we're actually coming to the end of this series. Next week, we wrap up our study in the book of James. So hopefully, as we've been talking about wisdom for life, you feel like you are wiser. Hopefully, you are living more wisely, right? You are? That's awesome. I'm so glad. I'm just going to believe that that's happening. So um, I, ho- I hope you've really gotten a lot out of this, this series. I have. I've really enjoyed it, uh, learning all kinds of stuff from the book of James in regards to wisdom of how to relate to people, how to persevere in trials, uh, how to control our tongues, how to use our words to bless and not curse, and how to live with humility. We talked about that last week. I mean, there's tons of wisdom to be gained from this book. And today, we're going to come to a passage in James chapter 5 where we're going to get some wisdom on waiting. Wisdom on waiting. To which we all would probably want to say, um, can I get some wisdom on something else? <laughs> Because no one wants wisdom on waiting. We would like wisdom on how to never have to wait ever again, right? Like, that's what we want, but we don't want to wait. It's been said that we live in the most impatient uh, culture in the history of the world. And uh, our technology, our industry, I mean, so much of the world we live in right now is all geared around making sure that we don't ever have to develop patience, right? Everything is there to try to help us uh, not have to wait on anything. So from dating apps to um, uh, online shopping to uh, um, same-day delivery, one-click shopping. I mean, you just go on and on and on like you used to and really not that long ago, right? To send someone a message, it actually required pen and a paper and a stamp. Now we have you know, tweets, we have DMs, we have emails, we have something literally called instant messaging, right? It's like, this is, I just want to do it as fast as I possibly can. Um, we don't even like waiting to be entertained any longer, right? Like uh, we used to, if you have a TV show that you really like to watch, you would watch an episode... And then this is wild, but you would wait a week until the episode would come back on. Next, the next one would come on. And, and now, like, you have Netflix, and you just get the entire, like, the entire season is just dumped at the same day. And you can just binge the entire season if you wanted uh, in that same day. This is so weird. We don't even want to wait to be entertained. Unless you're into The Mandalorian, right? Anyone watching Mandalorian? Yeah. Yes, Disney Plus, the new Star Wars show. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Enoch and I started watching that together uh, last week, and uh, we watched, the, they did first two episodes right away. We watched those, he loved it, and then he said, after the, fir- after the second one, he said, Dad, let's watch another one. <laughs> I said, uh, well, but they're actually only releasing one a week now from this point on, and it's not out yet, we got to wait a week. And he just looked at me like, like he, it was the wildest thing he had ever heard. <laughs> It's like, because my son, he's just got only grown up watching Netflix, and it's like all there, right there, all the time. It's never ideal, like waiting a week to watch the next episode. He was, but I got to teach him a really great life lesson 
And that is, son, there are certain things that are worth waiting for. The Mandalorian episodes being one of those. <laughs> They're really good. Um, well, James chapter 5. In this passage, he's going to tell us, he's going to point us to something that is absolutely worth waiting for. And in fact, what we're going to see, just as a way of preview in, the series, in, this, uh, in this passage, is he's going to uh, rebuke those who aren't waiting. He's going to rebuke the impatient. And then he's going to call us to wait. He's going to call us to be patient. And then he's going to point us to those who have gone before us and who were patient. He's going to give us kind of a lesson from the patient. And it's all for us to gain some wisdom on waiting. So that's where we're headed this morning. Let me pray and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, God, would you teach us this? Though uh, we don't want to learn it often. We don't want to wait. God, would you show us that there's something absolutely worth waiting for? Would you speak to us today? Give us ears to hear what you have to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so go ahead if you have your Bibles or want to pull it up on your phone. Turn to James chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And um, call on this part a, a rebuke for the impatient. And let me just read it for us right here. He says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. This is a happy passage. Keep going. Um, Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And then one more slide. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Okay, so I'm calling this a rebuke for the impatient, but uh, James doesn't use that term and he's referring to these people. He doesn't call them the impatient. He calls them what? He calls them the rich. Did you notice that first verse? Yeah, you rich. Now, that begs the question, okay, well, is it wrong to be rich? And let me answer that real quick for you. In Scripture, uh, there aren't two simple categories, rich and poor. It's more nuanced than that. There's four categories. There's the ungodly rich, and there's the godly rich. There's the ungodly poor, and there's the godly poor. Okay, so for example, you got the godly rich. Think Abraham, think Job, think Lydia in the New Testament. Or you have the ungodly rich. Think Pharaoh or Herod or the the, uh, the rich young ruler in the New Testament. Or you have the uh, ungodly poor. I mean, Proverbs has a lot to say about the ungodly poor. These are people who are lazy, who won't work. Like they have opportunity, but they deny opportunity to work. Or they're, or they're uh, people who gamble or you know, drink all their money away. That's ungodly poor. And then you have the godly poor. Think Jesus himself or his family, which would include James, his half-brother, like they were godly poor. So you have these four categories. And in this passage, James is specifically talking to or rebuking the ungodly rich, right? And here's what he says to them. He says, here's, here's what I'm rebuking for, ungodly rich. You have this attitude. It's driving these actions. Here it is. You uh, are trying to get all you can any way that you can to try to live the best life you can right here and now. 
Like, just break that down. He was trying to get all you can. That's, that's really verses 2 and 3. Your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Gold and silver are corroded. It's interesting, if you think about this, like, James was echoing what Jesus said in the Sermon on Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Like, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and dust, like, all that. You've, same idea. He says, but that's what you've done. And so your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. And then this is the key line. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So you're trying to get all you can. You're just trying to accumulate stuff. And then he goes on. He says, you're doing it any way you can. So that's, you know, verses huh, 4 and 6. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Cries of the harvesters will reach the ears of the Lord Almighty. And skip to verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one. No? <laughs> there you go. Condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is highlighting, this is incredible injustice. I mean, he's saying, you, you guys, you're defrauding the people who work for you. I mean, you're trying to accumulate everything you can to where you're not even paying those who are mowing your fields or harvesting for you. And in that day, and really to this day, if someone does not pay someone what they're due, doesn't pay them a paycheck, then that has a ripple effect to where a mower, someone harvesting the field can't get a paycheck, they go home, they can't feed their kids, people, innocent ones, die. People have debated whether this line in verse 6 is hyperbole or not, and it doesn't have to be. It's, this happens, and James is rebuking them for it because these ungodly rich are trying to get all they can as quick as they can, any way that they can, even by not paying people what they are due. And then the last part of that is this is why they're doing it. They're, they're trying to um, uh, live the best life that they can right here and now. And th this is the line that really messes with me. Like this is kind of the thing that's driving their other actions, right? And it's summed up here. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And I read that and I'm like, mm. because our culture kind of holds that up as the aim, doesn't it? Like isn't that, according to our culture, like, that's the goal. Like, aren't we trying to, like, live comfortably, to live with luxury and self-indulgence? And this phrase, self-indulgence, is, is a, a translation of a Greek word that really just means luxury. Like, it uses, that's probably the best uh, um, uh, translation, but the other word also means luxury. That's the best translation. It's like luxury and luxury, but, or luxury and, they say, self-indulgence, or just pursuit of pleasure or comfort, like it's that idea. You're, you're just trying to, to make this place as comfortable as you possibly can. That's why you're trying to get all you can, as quick as you can, any way you can, because you want to live the best life you can right here. And our culture says, man, that's, yeah, man, aim for that. And James says, no, I rebuke you for that. And it, it's interesting that this phrase, like you read, you're trying, you have lived on earth, you see, on earth, in luxury and self-indulgence, and that part of it kind of stands out to me. Like, it's kind of a weird thing to insert, right? It's like, well, of course, that's where we are. Where else would I be doing it? Mars? Like, no, yeah, on earth. But it's like, no, no, you're trying to do it right now. And guys, that's where this idea of rebuking the impatient comes into play. Because they're trying to live the best life they can Um, 
The issue is, these people were living as if this life is all there is. And so they were living to get as much as they could out of this life, and as a result, they were living as what I would refer to as owners instead of stewards, living as if they were not accountable to anyone. But James tells them, hey, ye should weep and wail. That's verse 1. The reason they should weep and wail is because this life is not all there is. And they actually are accountable to someone. And he says in verse 5, And what you've done is you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. And that is a frightening way to refer to the day of judgment, isn't it? But that's what he's pointing them towards. See, um, it's really important for us to recognize that God clearly tells us in his word that we are not owners of our money and our possessions. But instead, we are stewards of his money and his possessions. And that one day we will give an account to him for what we have done with what he has entrusted to us. Okay, so a couple of key verses on this. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. That's God's way of just saying, it's all mine. And then in Psalm 24, verse 1, it actually says that. It says, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Which means everything that we have ultimately belongs first and foremost to God. And for a while, here on earth, he has entrusted to us his money and his possessions in order for us to use them in a way that honors him. Recently, Krista and I have been trying to uh, teach this to our, our kids, Campy Knock and Della. And, um, so we've been having these conversations about it. Like all, everything we own really belongs to God. He's entrusted. We're stewards. We, we need to use it in a way that honors him. We talk about that. Um, so we've been having those kind of conversations periodically. And then we had this fall, we had a student uh, teacher conferences with parent, you know, parents' conferences. And um, at the conference, uh, found out that their kids are all doing awesome in school. And teachers are just gushing over them because they're the greatest kids in the world, in my opinion. And uh, I might be a little biased there, but they really are awesome. And so they got just this, this really glowing reports from the teachers. And so we're proud of them. And so Chris and I give each kid $20. And this, is, this is their reward, right? And they don't get report cards. Like, this is their version of report cards. So we're like, this is your reward. Way to go, guys. We're just so proud of y'all. And so Enoch, he's our saver. He's like, man, that's great. He just puts it in his pocket. He's going to save that or lose it. He does that sometimes too. But um, <laughs> Camp and Della, right away, they want to go spend it. So we're off to Target, and they're going to go buy a toy. And so they do. They buy a toy. And then that night at dinner, uh, right before we eat, uh, we're going to pray. And Camp says, I want to pray. And when he prays that night, I don't think I'll ever forget it. It was just so precious. He prays this prayer. He says, uh, Heavenly Father, thanks for giving me your $20. I pray that I used it in a way that honors you when I purchased that Spider-Man web slinger. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I think I might use God's money a little differently if I were to pray a prayer like that every time I spend it. 
Now listen, Scripture is clear, and I don't have time to give you all the references, but you can look them up or we can talk afterwards. But um, God gives us his money so that we can take care of our needs and our family's needs, and not just our needs, but even at times like to, to, for, for our celebration, our fun and our enjoyment, our blessing. See, God is a good father, and he loves taking care of his kids really well. So part of what he does, he gives us his money for that purpose. And when we use our money in that way, it honors him. But scripture is also clear that he gives us his money not just for that, but also so that we can be enabled to partner with what he is doing in our world. And so he gives us his money to make it a way for us, to use it in a way to where we partner in his purposes in the world. Like we, we help the gospel move forward and advance here in our city and throughout the nations. And so we give and worship to him and in partnership with him. So we give to the church. This is a key way for us to use his money in a way that honors him. We give to the church where we're trying to get the gospel to our city. And we give to missionaries and we give to organizations that are trying to advance his purposes throughout the world. That honors him. He says, do that. And he says, I want you to also care for the poor and the marginalized in the world. And so to some, he gives even more so that through them, he can give to those who do not have enough. When we use our money in that way to meet our needs, to advance the gospel, to care for the poor, like all of that honors God. And then and in doing so, we are good stewards of his money because we're using it the way that God says to use his money. Now, God is also clear that we are not to use his money all on ourselves in our pursuit of living a life of luxury and self-indulgence here. He's very clear about that. But isn't that so tempting? <laughs> isn't that what we want to do? Like, let me just try to get all I can. And while I have it, then it's mine, and I can use it to make my life easier and more comfortable and a luxurious life, self-indulgence. Like, that's what we want to do. So what will help us not do that? Well, in this passage, where James goes next, is he says, this is what will help you. Be patient. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. In fact, here's what he said. Let me just read the next couple of verses. He's going to say, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Okay, so what's, let's connect some dots here, right? Okay, so what's going to help us fight the temptation to live on earth in luxury and self-indulgence? What's going to help us be good stewards of God's money and possessions? Well, James says you must be patient, which, you know, I'm going to be honest. Uh, does not feel helpful or desirable at all, right? <laughs> Be patient. Like, mm, got anything else, James? Because uh, life of luxury is looking pretty good. Um, but there is actually something pretty intriguing about this. You see, the, world, the word we translate uh, as patience 
is another one of those Greek compound words. We talked about one last week. Here's another one. It, it combines the, the word for long and the word for passion or temper. It's the kind of can be translated either way. So long and passion and temper. That's where that's the Greek word that we translate patience. But it doesn't mean being long in your expression of passion and temper. It actually means to be long in restraining it. It's prolonged restraint of passion or temper. That's what it means to be patient. And in context here, you're following me. He's specifically talking about restraining our passion or desire to live in luxury and self-indulgence. To restrain our desire to have all we want and to feel financially secure and as comfortable as possible here and now. And what's interesting, this is what I think this is really interesting, is that he doesn't say something like, hey, no, not be patient. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, kill those desires. He doesn't say, repent of that and never, ever desire those things ever again. That's not what he says. Instead, he says, be patient. Now, what does that mean? It restrains your desire for those things. He doesn't say those desires are wrong. To be comforted, to be secure, to even have like luxury, to have what you want. He doesn't say, hey, no, no, I don't ever want that. He says, no, no, be patient in regards to what you want. Restrain those desires. Well, restrain them until when, James? Well, he tells us when Jesus returns. See, James is saying, hey, there's something worth waiting for. Something worth waiting even on trying to pursue a life of luxury and comfort. That is uh, waiting until Jesus returns. Because it's when Jesus returns that those desires will be met in full and even beyond what we can imagine. That's why he points to it in verse 6 and verse 8. I mean, he's going to say, See, uh, be patient in brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming. Then he uses this analogy. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient, stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, the point, he throws in this like, you know, farming analogy, which most of us, you know, don't really, you know, that's not our experience. So what, that, what does that really mean? Well, let me tell you, the point of this farming analogy is this. He's saying, right now, in this life, we are in a uh, sowing and waiting season. We're like the farmer. We're like the farmer who's already sowed or is sowing, and he's waiting for the rains to come before the valuable crop comes. That's what we are, not just right now, like in this month, or right now in this year, but right now in this life, that's what we're like. We're like the farmer. And in this life, we're sowing. And we're waiting. But we also, like a farmer, can know, based off the promises of God, that there is a time coming where the rain comes and the valuable crop comes. And so we can be patient until that time, trusting that that time is absolutely ahead of us. But don't try to, don't get it mixed up 
and starts thinking that this is the time to reap. And this is the time to harvest. And this is the time to get all you can any way that you can to live the best life you can. That's not this time. This is the time of waiting. This is the time of sowing. Um, the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 26 and 27, uh, God began speaking about what will happen when the Messiah, when Jesus will come to set up his kingdom. And in that passage, it says this, I will send down showers in season, and there will be showers of blessing, and the trees will yield their fruit, and the ground will yield its crops, and the people will be secure in their land. And here, God's not just talking about physical rain. You can see that, right? He says these showers of blessing. And these bless, this blessing is associated with the coming of the Messiah. For when he comes, hear this, friends, when Jesus comes again, he's going to set all things right. He's going to set all things right. And all poverty and all hardship and all struggles and all temptation and death itself, all of it is going to come to an end. And the desires of our heart to have a comfortable and a luxurious even, a, a life of splendor, the life where we say, we, our heart's desires, all of them are met. That day will come. It will come and they will be met in the person of Jesus Christ and be enjoyed in the presence of Jesus Christ for all of eternity for those who have placed their faith alone in Christ alone. That is yours to know it's coming. And so James says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. Now is not the time, but a time's coming. Those desires will be met. Don't try to meet them right now. Be patient, brothers and sisters. And he also says something kind of intriguing. He says, that day Jesus is coming, it might be at any minute. <laughs> right? I mean, he throws that line in. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now, that's confusing, right? Because James wrote that almost 2,000 years ago. And so you read that and you think, okay, James, well, um, maybe you have a different definition for near than I do because, you know, 2,000 years does not feel near. And what's interesting is that he actually does have a different definition for near than we do because this word for near, it, it doesn't mean immediate. It means imminent, right? And y'all know the difference there? It's not going to happen, you know, for sure. It's not going to happen next. But it is going to, there's nothing keeping it from happening. It's imminent. It could happen at any point of time. And James says, we don't know when that time's coming. And we don't know. And if you listen to someone who sees, say the claim that they know exactly when Jesus is going to return, um, you know, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. We don't know. But we do know it could be at any, it could be at any moment. And so be patient. Knowing that maybe you won't even have to be patient long. But you do know you need to be patient until he comes. Until the Lord comes returns, and then your desires will be fulfilled. Um, the, uh, 
the idea here, friends, is this. James is calling us to live with this, uh, what's called an eternal perspective. He's, he's calling us to live with a biblical perspective, a different worldview. To not see this life as all there is, but to see that there's a life that's coming. Not to think that you are the only one that gets to call shots in your life, but that you're accountable to someone else. And then see that this is not the time to get all you can as fast as you can, any way you can, to live the best life you can, because there, that time is coming, it's not now. That's what he's calling us to, to believe, to understand, and to look forward with hope of Christ's return. Now, here's the thing. Um, not everyone has that worldview. Not everyone understands that perspective. Uh, most of us wrestle with that perspective. We sometimes believe it, and then sometimes we live as if we don't believe it, right? And as a result, what happens is that we are obedient to this, being patient command, and at times we're not, right? And so James adds something in this that I think is super wise. He just says this in verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And in context, I believe that his point is, is this. Hey, um, don't look around, Christians. Don't look around at your brothers and sisters in the faith and judge how they're spending God's money. Don't do that. Don't be in your MC and a friend, you know, one of your friends buys a new car or goes on an awesome vacation trip. Don't be sitting there saying, hey, um, ooh, I bet you're enjoying that life of luxury and self-indulgence right now. Have fun fattening yourself the day of slaughter. Don't do that. James is saying, don't do that. Don't judge. Don't grumble. In fact, this word grumble actually is a word that speaks about an inward attitude. It's not even saying it out loud. He's like, I don't want you, not, I don't want you to say it out loud. That's judging. I don't even want you thinking it in here. That's grumbling. Don't start grumbling about how your brothers and sisters are spending God's money. That's not up for you to judge. You're not the judge. Jesus is the judge. He's a perfect judge. Let him do the judging. We certainly can encourage each other, and we should encourage each other to live for that day, the day of Jesus' return, instead of this day. We should spur each other on to live uh, generous lives, to, to honor God with our money. I mean, Hebrews 10 specifically tells us that. Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day being the day that Jesus returns. This is what we're called to do. But we're not to judge. Encourage, spur each other on, absolutely. But don't judge. That's for God to do. That's for Jesus to do. And we told that he's going to do it because he is the judge. And he's standing at the door. Which might cause us to ask, well, Okay, well, why doesn't he just swing that door open and come back, right? If he's right there, about to, I mean, the picture is he's standing at the door like he's about to come in. He's about to enter history again. You think, well, why aren't you coming back? And the reason, the reason Scripture tells us that he hasn't come back is because God is patient. And just as James is calling us to be patient here, he's calling us to reflect the character of God. God is patient. One of the main refrains, descriptions of character of God throughout all of scriptures that he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And that idea of slow to anger, I think slow or long to 
produce his passion or his temper. It's a long, prolonged restraint of his passion. He is patient. And we know why he's patient. I mean, one of my favorite verses, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Then verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come. See, why hasn't Christ returned yet? It's because he's patient. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance, to come into a saving faith in Jesus where they're reconciled to God through belief that Jesus died for their sins and rose again three days later and says, okay, Jesus did that for me. My faith is in him. I'm reconciled. God said, I'm waiting on you to come to that point. I don't want anyone to perish. And I'm patient. I'm slow to anger. I'm rich in love. And because I'm patient, I want you to be patient. And because I'm patient, you're going to have to be patient. And these desires for this comfort and this security and all your wildest dreams kind of coming true, that kind of stuff, like that's going to happen in my presence when Christ returns. But you're going to need to be patient because I'm patient. And you understand this is a time of sowing. This is not the time for harvesting. And so join me, God says, in sowing the gospel. Join me. And helping people know who I am, reflecting my character. Join me in taking care of the poor and the marginalized. Join me in not just using all your money on yourself, because it's not your money. It's my money. And I've given it to you because I'm a good father. I want to care for you, and I want you to partner with what I am doing in this world. Friends, um, are you being patient? Have you confused a time of sowing with a time of reaping? Are you trying to live a life of luxury and self-indulgence? Or do you see that that time, those desires, they're going to be filled when Christ comes. And until then, you need to be patient. James, ah. Uh, is going to call us to, or going to point us to if some people have gone before us and say, you need to follow their example. Because here, here's a lesson you can learn from the patient. Here's what he says in verse 10. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. And for sake of time, friends, I just don't, I can't, start talking through all the prophets and how they model this. But if I were to sum up what the example of the prophets is, it's this. The prophets understood that they were living in a time of sowing. They did not try to make their time on earth as comfortable as possible. But instead, they knew that there was a life to come, and they knew that there was someone they were accountable to, and they decided to live for him. Even when it meant Going without, even when it meant persecution, even when it meant they would have to persevere in their patience. And James says, hey, learn from them. See, because we count them blessed. And we count them blessed not because they accumulated all this stuff in their life and they lived a really luxurious life. No, we count them blessed because we know on this side of things that they were living for what really matters. And they lived well. And they please God. He says, man, friends, let's do that. Be patient then, brothers and sisters.
Then he adds, you have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And again, I don't have time to unpack this, but it's really interesting that he points to Job here. Because if you're familiar with Job, you know that uh, Job uh, complained a lot. (laughs) And I don't know if patience or in perseverance would be the words that you would really come straight to your mind when you think of Job. But here's what Job did, and here's why I think James points to Job, is that though Job argued a lot with God, he never let go of God. He never gave up on God. He never quit and abandoned God. He wrestled with God. He prayed with God. He continued to persevere in his relationship with God, and that honored God. And in the end, God revealed his power to Job, and he restored Job's riches in the end, his fortunes. But the point of God's restoration of Job's fortunes is not so we can think, okay, so if I persevere, then God will make me rich in this life. No, it's because it highlights the fact that at the end of every chapter, God blesses. At the end of the chapter, God blesses. And friends, what we need to recognize is that right now we're in the middle of a historical chapter. We're in the middle of a chapter. And this chapter is going to come to an end when Christ returns. And when that happens, God will richly bless. But that time is not now. It's not yet. And so we say, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm going to be like Job. I'm going to wait. I'm going to hang on, and it's going to be hard. I'm going to persevere. But I'm going to hang on. I'm going to be patient. Friends, are you being patient? Um, Sean's back here. He's wanting me to get off stage, but i got a couple more things to say. Um, (laughs) Okay. Let me ask you again. Are you all living for the here and now? Are you trying to get all you can, any way you can, to live the best life you can? Are you seeking to live a life of luxury and self-indulgence? Are you being patient? Are you concurrently restraining your passion for those things? Are you living as an owner or steward? Are you living for this day or or that day, the day of Christ's return? You see, one day we're all going to give an account to Jesus for how we lived and how we stewarded his money and his possessions. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says it this way. For we must all appear, and the we here is specifically in regards to Christians, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And friends, at this time of judgment, when we stand before Jesus and we are judged for what we've done in our life, you need to understand what's at stake is not heaven or hell. It's not where you spend eternity. That is a done deal completely based on your faith and what Jesus has done for you. And you believe that Jesus died for you in your place and he rose again and you trust him alone for your salvation. It's done. It's secure. No one can take that away from you. You can't even give it back. That's eternal security. So at this judgment, that's not what's on the table. But what is that on the table? It's whether you've honored Jesus with your life, 
whether you've honored the one who lived and died for you, whether you've pleased the one who was pleased to die for you so that you can be with him forever. And you're going to give an account for what you've done with this stuff, what you've done with this money, what you've done with your life. And if you live this life in pursuit of luxury and self-indulgence now, you're going to wish that you didn't when you're standing face to face with him. Are you living as an owner or are you living as a steward? There's an old story that um, pastors like to tell. I don't know if it's true. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it sounds a little far-fetched, but man, it really packs a punch, so I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, the story goes that there's a, uh, 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 these missionaries who were on the field in a country in Africa for 40 years, faithfully serving God and sharing the gospel there. And finally, time for their retirement, and their mission organization made uh, arrangements for them to stay in an apartment, a small little apartment in New York. So they flew from the country to Africa to London, a connection flight from London to New York. And it just so happened that the connecting flight from London to New York was also the same plane that the Beatles were on in their very first trip to the U.S. I think it's February uh, 7th, 1964. And when they land in New York, there are throngs of people. It said 3,000, over 3,000 people showed up at the airport to, re- to, to greet the Beatles. And it's just Beatle mania. It's just crazy. And then these missionaries have spent 40 years serving God. They get off the plane. No one's there to greet them. And they're seeing what's happening with the Beatles. And the husband, uh, not the wife, the wife clearly more spiritual in the story, but the, the husband gets really bitter. And he gets angry. And he's just saying, this is not right. We have served God for 40 years and we have no one here to greet us. And these musicians have these, all these fans. And no one is here to even recognize what we've done. That's not right. And he would go to their small apartment. And this apartment is just really, really, you know, not awesome. And he gets even more mad. And so his wife says, hey, okay, oh, you need to go pray. And you can talk to God about this. Again, clearly the spiritual one in the relationship. And so he says, fine, okay, I will. So he goes in the bedroom and he prays. And after a little while, he comes back out, and his countenance has changed. And the wife says, well, what happened? He said, well, I told God how bitter I was, how mad I am, and I grumbled, and I complained. And I told him how it's not right that when we got home after being away and serving him for 40 years, there was no one to welcome us. And then God told me, my child, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And friends, we're not home yet. But Jesus is going to return. And those desires are going to be fulfilled in him and in his presence. And it's going to be better than you can imagine. And if he tarries in his his patience, wanting for people to come to know him, you die before he returns. You will be with him at that time. That's how the chapter ends. It ends in blessing. So be patient. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Because we're not home yet. This morning we're going to end by taking communion like we do each Sunday. But 
unlike most Sundays, I'm just going to actually read a passage where, where we're given the instructions about taking communion. Found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's what it says. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And friends, this morning as we take communion, let's do this. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us and make the way for us to be with him. And let's remember that we're going to keep doing this until he comes. But he's going to come. So let's be patient until that day. Communion table is open to anyone who has placed their faith in Christ. We just ask that you believe what you're taking. I'm going to pray, and you can come get it in the front or in the back. We also will have people in the back to pray for you if you would like some prayer. Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, God, we need your help with this because the desires to make this world our home and to live luxury, luxurious life, or we, we can't really... Most of us don't even desire to live luxury life. We feel like that's out of our reach. We just want to live comfortable lives or secure lives or just use our money on ourselves. But God, those desires are strong. Will you help us? Will you help us restrain them? Would you give us your patience? Would you help us believe that one day you're going to return Christ? Those desires will be fulfilled in you and in your presence. God, will you help us reflect your patience now? Would we so, would we so now, God, see people know you and reflect your character? God, teach us this. Give us your wisdom on waiting for your glory, God. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. We remember this now. We proclaim this until you come. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.